I'm Fiona from IELTS with Fiona. I'm a little obsessed about IELTS and I think about it all the time. So when I'm teaching it during the day and things come up, I always think, oh, I must remember to write that down or I must remember to tell my students about that or something like that always goes through my head because I think how useful it could be for other students. So I've found a way of writing my thoughts down, which is in the what's new section of my website. The trouble is when you write a blog, it takes ages. You you feel like you have to really craft it and research it and be really thoughtful about it. And that's why I only do one about once a month. But then I thought all of these things that I'm learning from my students every day are really going to waste and I have to keep them somewhere. I have to keep them somewhere safe. So If you go to my website, and by the way, it's the free website. It's completely free. Today, I had a student in my speaking class, and she said, oh, I didn't know you had a website. And I think I talk about my website too much because everything is free. And she said, oh, I didn't realize it was free. So go to my free website, ieltsetc.com, and click on the what's new and I send you an email. If you're on my email list, you'll get these in your emails as well. So you'll get, when people say, can I have some tips? This is where you'll find them completely free of charge because these are my thoughts. These are things I notice, learn, discover every day and I want to share them with you because I think they're useful. I choose things that I think are useful for IELTS or for life in general if you're learning English. So I go through them in the podcast and today we're starting from October the 28th. We're a little delayed but doesn't matter because the tips are still valid and the first tip is all about how important is the introduction in IELTS writing task two. Now this question came up because a well-known IELTS blogger said, don't waste time on your introduction. It's a functional paragraph, which usually contains just two sentences. The bulk of the marks are in the body paragraphs. So the message was, don't waste time on your introduction. And although, yes, of course, don't spend 20 minutes on the introduction, but it's not just a functional paragraph. It's a lot more important than that. It sets up your whole essay. And if you get the introduction right, it will help the structure of the rest of your essay and it'll make you sound more coherent and um, your arguments will be clearer. So I was I was a little shocked when I saw this. And again, I did some research. I like doing research. I looked at a few other websites, well-known ones. Um, I think they agree with me. This one says, one of the main skills for getting a good band score in IELTS writing task two is how clear and effective the introduction is. This shows the examiner what your essay is going to be about and helps you helps your task response score. Somebody else said an essay's introduction is incredibly important because it's the first thing that an examiner will read. And the next one says an introduction is important to the essay because it creates an initial impression in terms of the quality of your writing. Absolutely. A clear, well-organized and relevant introduction will create a positive first impression on the examiner. So I think most of my 
colleagues, my peers agree that the introduction is important. Um, but it's so important that I disagree with the teachers who say just paraphrase the question or get the introduction out of the way. Um, if you look at the band descriptors, and that's the only thing that you are judged on, the band descriptors are what give you gives you the score. Um, so it's a, it, the, the introduction, it sets up the structure of your essay, helping the examiner follow your logic. That relates to coherence and cohesion, band seven, clear progression throughout. Task achievement presents a clear position throughout. So that has to come in the introduction. Um, it also shows the examiner your flexibility, precision and control with vocabulary and grammar. Those are band seven criteria when you don't rely on rephrasing the question. That's why I don't think you should do it. Finally, examiners are human. They start making judgments from the first line. Some examiners I know, they they say they can judge what the score is going to be from the first line. So the introduction is hugely important. And if you go and look at my What's New, there's a, an example there for you. Well, there's lots of examples I've done on the site, but basically you need a three-line paragraph, general statement, show both, both points of the argument and say which one you agree with. Okay. Next post was on October. Sorry, it just makes me scroll through every time I change. Oh, God, sorry. Hang on. Sorry, sorry, sorry. November 5th, 3rd, 1st. Right. Okay. October the 29th is a pronunciation maze. Um, these were created by a very well-known pronunciation expert called Mark Hancock and he has a website where you get lots of these exercises and I think they're amazing, um, are literally amazing. He creates mazes and you have to work your way through the maze uh, depending on the pronunciation. So here it's the sound um, ow and the spelling is O-U. So, for example, house and out. The O-U sound has an ow, obviously. So, when you look at the maze, you have to choose which one of these sounds has that sound. <laughs> and you've got words like for, which is different, soup, which is different, um, touch, bought, all of those have the O-U spelling, but not the ow sound. So that's that's how you get through the maze. And, and I think it's really clever. And not only that, it's useful because today um, in the speaking practice in the Members Academy, one of the students said phoned, phoned, phoned instead of found. So we quickly jumped onto this maze and practiced all of the ow sounds because it is quite common to mistake that O-U sound, especially. And he's got another one we'll talk about later where he talks about the O-W sound. Um, oh, why not talk about it now? Um, you know, there was the COP26 summit um, in 
Scotland, in a place called, I'm going to spell it for you, G-L-A-S-G-O-W. So the ending is G-O-W. And um, all the Americans were saying Glasgow, um, but the pronunciation is Glasgow. So there's another maze, which is um, a nice one with O-W. We'll come back to that later. I think Americans say Moscow as well, because the spelling is C-O-W. And the UK, they say Moscow. So um, there's another maze. We'll come back to that later. On October the 30th, it was about word stress. So remember the pronunciation score in IELTS has different... Um, criteria based on pronunciation features. So it's not just single sounds. It's not just the way you say v or w. It's not just um, difficult sounds like we just saw, like o and ow. It's a whole list of things. And, and they get gradually going from the small one sound to more than one sound. So that's word stress to sentence stress and intonation and everything. So this one on the 30th is about sentence stress. Can you hear the difference between a greenhouse and a greenhouse? The difference is the first one is a compound noun. It's just one word, a greenhouse. And it means a glass house, a house which is made of glass. So when you talk about um, greenhouse gases... They're gases which make the earth warmer, really important for IELTS. So greenhouse, the stress is on the first syllable because the whole thing is a, a noun, a two-syllable noun, a greenhouse. But in the second one, the important thing is the house and the description is green. It's not important. So you stress the house. You say it's a greenhouse. No. <laughs> It's a green house. So I think what happened was in the speaking test, somebody said that they lived in a green house, which was quite funny because it sounds like they live in a glass house in the garden. But they meant that they lived in a green house. So there is a difference and there is a list of those on my website. Let me know if that's not clear. <laughs> Um, November the 1st, um, we were reviewing modals in the Members Academy. Modals cause a lot of problems, especially past modals. And um, we went through the difference between the two types of modals. So one type is the easy one, the one that just give rules and things like you must um, brush your teeth. And the other ones are where they are guessing words. So this one is just looking at the simple meaning of must um, as obligation. But I asked my students, what is the opposite of must? And they said, well, mustn't is the opposite. And of course, it's not mustn't because both of those are rules. And the opposite of a rule is there's no rule. So let me give you a context. If you think about going on an airplane, on a flight, on a journey, think about the rules there. So the rules are um, you must switch your phone off, you mustn't smoke, um, you must bring your passport, you must fasten your seatbelt, 
um, and you mustn't stand up on takeoff. So those are a few rules. But what about the things that you have a choice about? Do you have to eat the food? Uh, do you have to watch the movie? Do you have to chat to your neighbor? No, there's no obligation. So the opposite of must is you don't have to. You can if you want to, but you don't have to. So if you go to November the 1st, you'll see a, a kind of game where you choose must, mustn't, or don't have to. Um, November the 2nd, we were talking about the difference between 15 and 50. This came up in my pronunciation course because it's connected, of course, to the listening. Um, very often in the listening test, part one, um, they'll have a number which is like 15 or 50. And you have to listen quite carefully to hear the difference. Um, it's the same for 13 and 30. So remember with the numbers in the tens, like 40, 50, 60, the stress is on the first syllable. But in the teens, it's on the teen, 15, 16. So that's, that's a, a, a rule that can help you in the listening test. Even people who have English as their first language struggle with this. In shops, you hear people saying, do you mean 1-5 or 5-0? Because they, they didn't catch. Was it 15 or 50? Um, so just... Practice those by yourself. Go through them 16, 60, 17, 70. Go through them like that. November the 3rd, we were talking about museums and the stresses on the zeum. Um, I think it must be a false friend or in some languages they say museum. This was just a word stress issue again, museum. Um, November the 4th, the title was, it's not worth it. It's a fixed expression. You, you might know the famous advert for Estee Lauder. And she says, because you're worth it. If you can remember that, um, it's, it's different from worthy and they get confused. So, for example, which one is correct here? Um, there's plenty of information online, so it's not worthy to pay for a course, or it's not worth paying for a course. So, answer. the answer is number two, it's not worth paying for a course. Um, worthy has got a slightly different meaning, so it's a false friend again, I think. Um, oh, November the 5th, this was a listening trick. This was week one of my listening course, and we were doing part one. So tr the tricks that come up there are always with numbers, as we've just seen with 50 and 15. And this was all about at least and a minimum of. We've seen this trick before. It's on my website. Um, there's a listening where it says library fines. So if your book is late, you get a fine. And the question is, how much is the fine? 
So the gap fill is library finds start at and then the gap. So you need to know what is the minimum price. And the listening says the minimum fine is £1.50, but it can go up to £5. So your job was to find out what was the minimum price fine. Uh, so the answer was £1.50. And again, um, in this example, if you if you go to the website, you can actually play it. And it said, uh, hang on, let me play. Oh, you have to play it, I think, to see it. But it was something about um, a minimum of three years. And the correct answer was one year. But just go and play it so you can try it yourself. Um, okay, November the 6th. Can I use ETC in an essay? So what does ETC mean, first of all? It means etc. So the name of my website, IELTS ETC, the idea was it's IELTS etc. It's more than just IELTS. It's exam training courses, ETC, but it means that you just don't get a course. You get a lot more than just a course. That was my idea anyway. Now it's IELTS with Fiona because nobody understood ETC. <laughs> um, so the question was, can I use ETC, etc. in an essay? Um, this essay was about museums. And somebody said, the question was, is it a good idea to put things online? Um, is it a positive or negative development? So we did this in the academy and some people thought it was a bad idea and they said people might not be able to appreciate the colours, the scale, etc. ETC. Um, so first of all, the idea of writing etc. in academic writing is not good. It's, it's not considered acceptable. It's considered kind of lazy um, because... It's like you, you can't be bothered to write any more and you're expecting the examiner to fill in the gaps for you. Anything like that, etc. or and so on, is, is considered lazy in academic writing. So there's a simple solution to this. How to avoid etc. is you just choose two examples and you say such as. So people might not be able to appreciate details such as the colours and the scale. Um, it's fine just to give two examples. You've got 250 words. They, they don't expect you to write the whole gamut of examples. They, they just want one or two, you know, as, as an illustration. Um, November the 7th was my student Agatha. That was a Sunday success and she got an overall band date. Well done, Agatha. Um, then November the 8th is looking at modals again and this time the modal should. Now, remember we said that modals have two types of meaning. There's the obvious meaning. What is the meaning of should? Most of us would think, well, it's for advice. Uh, you should go to the doctor. But there's another meaning. 
And it's this idea of how sure you are and how certain you are. You're guessing. And here's the example where the speaker keeps saying, yeah, that should be fine. Yeah, that shouldn't be a problem. Yeah, I think that should be okay. They keep saying should, I think four times in this part one listening. Um, no, it's a part two listening. No, it's part one. Interesting. Um, and it just means, yeah, he doesn't think it will be a problem. He's guessing that it won't be a problem. Um, in fast speech, it sounds like, yeah, that should be okay. Yeah, that should be fine. Yeah, that should be all right. So you don't really hear it. Um, but, you know, in what we do in the listening course with the Members Academy, we look at language quite closely so that you can decode it and you can understand that fast speech. You can recognize the tricks, but you're also learning useful language. This is a really useful expression um, to use when somebody says, is it okay? Something like that. Yeah, that should be fine. Um, okay, I think I'm going to stop there now because I've talked a lot and I've got lots more to go through. So I'm going to give it to you in bite-sized pieces. Do let me know if you've got any questions at all about anything I said. Or if you've got any requests, then I'll put them into the, the daily tips that you can find on my website, totally free, ieltsetc.com. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye-bye.